explosions on Nord Stream pipeline last year continue to raise the interest of investigators, with several recent articles pointing at possible Ukrainian involvement. But these publications spark criticism in Ukraine. You are listening to the Explaining Ukraine podcast, produced by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I am a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I invite you to a regular conversation between my colleagues Anastasia Heresemchuk and Darya Sinhayevska, journalists and analysts at Ukraine World, who analyzed key events in and around Ukraine during the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. start, let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypalukraine.resistinggmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Hello, Dasha. Another week has passed, so let's discuss key events in and around Ukraine over the week from the 11th of November to the 17th of November. Could you enlist the topics we are going to discuss today? Sure, Nastya, we are going to pay due attention to the situation on the front lines, also unleashing the matter of our diplomatic career, and by that I mean uh, Xi Jinping visits to uh, the US and Cameron's visit to Ukraine. Then we are going to pay um, to, to give a look at the situation that uh, is around Zaporizhia and NP. Uh, especially around the unit number five. We're going also to talk about uh, Czech Republic's decision to freeze uh, Russian state assets. And uh, last but not least, uh, we are going also to pay uh, attention to the uh, controversies around the diversion on the North Stream. Thank you, Dasha. Traditionally, let's start with the developments on the front lines, and I'd like to start with the southern direction, namely with the left bank of Kherson region. Uh, in uh, It is one of not numerous directions where Ukrainian armed forces are moving forward, but aren't standing on the defensive. And in several previous episodes, we told you about the gradual advancement of the Ukrainian armed forces there and about the preparatory actions to gain foothold in this area. Uh, So last week, we we received official confirmation of successful actions uh, from the command of Marine Infantry of the Ukrainian Armed Forces. And uh, now we can officially say that uh, the Ukrainian military managed to gain a foothold on several bridgeheads on the left bank of uh, the Kherson region. And in this fighting, the Russian occupiers suffered heavy losses. So what is the significance uh, of of this direction of the front line and what is the significance of, of this event, of uh, holding the, uh, the territories there? So uh, let's dig a bit deeply into history of the operations in this direction. And first attempts to cross the Dnipro River were taken about a year ago. And after the liberation of the right bank of uh, Uh, the Dnipro River, the actions of Ukrainian armed forces intensified, but the Kohovka Dam disaster uh, made by Russians uh, at the beginning of uh, summer hindered this process. 
and active attempts to move forward in this direction resumed in autumn. Now Ukrainians are putting efforts to build up capabilities in this area, uh, and even though there are several important positions held uh, there, the situation remains difficult. And uh, the Dnipro River is the main obstacle itself. Uh, it is extremely challenging to transport heavy vehicles uh, because of the Russians' fire control. This direction is promising because, because Russians didn't build uh, fortifications there and Russian main forces are deployed in other directions. So Ukraine has time to make a breakthrough there, to make significant advancement, advancements in the Kherson region. Uh, but still, it is important to emphasize that this uh, time uh, frame isn't too big. So there isn't too much time to gain significant advancements. Uh, so the bridgeheads Ukrainian armed forces gained are tactical, but they are still extremely important. Uh, the aim is to connect them into an operational one to go deeper to the occupied territory and to reach the Crimean Isthmus. And it is about a, uh, 100 kilometers away from the Ukrainian positions there. So it is uh, like a long-term, let's say, long-term uh, aim of our armed forces in this direction, or the big aim. A short-term and more attainable aim is to reach the Oleshkino-Vakahovka road and to cut it. And uh, uh, what is important about this road is that it is in parallel to the front line and it gives uh, the room for manure uh, for Ukrainian armed forces. And this road is located five, seven kilometers away from the Ukrainian positions. Uh, also for Ukrainians, it is very important to deoccupy the Kiburn Spit, since it's a gate to the ports of Kherson and Mykolaiv. However, the main task uh, remains to cut Russian logistic routes from the occupied Crimea. So uh, the advancement forward towards the uh, road I've just mentioned uh, is uh, of critical importance. So the importance of this event is evident, but it is still premature to make any prognosis on uh, success of any operations in that, in that sector, because the developments there are also closely connected, and I'd even say they are, depend on the developments in other directions. Uh, talking about uh, other directions uh, of the front line, Ukraine armed, Ukrainian armed forces also managed to move forward south of Bakhmut, but Russians are uh, the Russians are counterattacking in the same sector in the area of Klishivka and Andreevka. Um, they also continue to con conduct uh, uh, offensive actions in the Parisia, Marinka, Liman, and Kupiansk directions, but uh, Ukrainian armed forces hold their positions and Russian offensive actions aren't successful. Uh, regarding of Divka sector, Ukrainians are holding defense uh, despite uh, the Russian attempts to encircle the town. So that's all about the frontline news. And uh, as Dasha mentioned, the last week was marked by important international visits. The leader of China came to the United States uh, of America. And even though this event isn't directly connected with Ukraine, it is important in geopolitical sense. And Dasha, you have something to tell about it. Sure. 
basically there are some bridging points that connects somehow this visit to Ukraine, although they were not the center of attention. The main purpose of the current meeting between the leaders of the United States and China was not to achieve specific results, but to restore a certain level of trust, define positions in relations, and demonstrate the party's readiness for dialogue. The, the summit was not intended uh, to demonstrate changes in U.S. policy towards China or vice versa, but rather to show that both states understand the need for effective communication on issues that require interaction between the two most powerful global players, we can say. And neither side had um, expectations of uh, fundamental changes in the other's policy, but both demonstrate a willingness, I guess, to avoid open confrontation. For President Biden, the resumption of dialogue with China, especially on issues of stability in the Indo-Pacific region and around Taiwan, could be a strong argument in his election campaign, by the way. Uh, although there is no detailed report on what was discussed regarding Ukraine, I know that a U.S. official close to the matter said that Biden had urged C to refrain from military support for Russia's invasion of Ukraine during the closed-door meeting. So, to wrap it up, former Foreign Minister of Ukraine Pavlo Klimkin said that the meeting between U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping will not solve the world's problem, but... It has significantly improved the atmosphere of relations between the two countries. At the same time, he noted that this does not mean an increase in interstate trust, but rather a normalization of relations. Nevertheless, we have another visit of uh, British Foreign Secretary Cameron to Ukraine. So, Nastya, what is the specifics of this particular visit? Indeed, on the 16th of November, the newly appointed British Foreign Secretary David Cameron arrived in, Ky in uh, Ukraine on an uh, official visit. He held uh, the range of meetings, so he met uh, with the Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, with uh, the Prime Minister Denis Shmigal, and the Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba. Uh, the main topics they discussed were the security situation in the Black Sea, the Ukrainian grain export, military aid to Ukraine, and of course, Ukraine's Euro-Atlantic integration. Uh, also, the British Foreign Minister uh, Cameron uh, went to Odessa, so Kyiv was not only uh one destination uh, one his destination the only destination in ukraine so in odessa he visited the odessa seaport uh, and talking about this visit in general, it is important to know that it was his first destination uh, in his current position. So diplomacy is not only about words and symbols play a significant role here. So choosing Ukraine as a destination for his first overseas trip shows that uh, support uh, to Ukraine remains a priority for the United Kingdom. And... Um, David Cameron told a very important thing uh, after uh, during uh, his visit to Ukraine. Uh, he emphasized that uh, Russia uh, shouldn't uh, rely on hopes to wait out this war, wait this war out, and. Um, 
the West will not turn its attention somewhere else. So these hopes and these expectations from the Russian side are futile. And uh, he assured uh, Ukraine of uh, unwavering uh, support uh, from the side of his country. And he, uh, he told that he made it clear that the United Kingdom and its partners will support Ukraine and its people for as long as it takes for them to achieve victory. So uh, let me remind you that the United Kingdom is the second largest donor of military assistance to Ukraine. And um, so far, the UK uh, has already gave aid to Ukraine worth uh, about £4.6 billion. And uh, it also recently announced a £100 million package that will assist uh, Ukrainian armed forces to clear minefields, uh, to repair its vehicles, uh, shore up defensive fortifications, and uh, other um, many other important things. And um, shifting from this diplomatic dimension to Ukrainian realities, we've, we've received uh, alarming news from the situation in the Zaporizhzhia nuclear power plant. Uh, Dasha, can you tell us more details about it? Sure. At uh, Zaporizhia NNP Unit 5, uh, an accident occurred with uh, a leakage of reagents from the first reactor circuit to the second one, which has not yet been eliminated. Um, as we know, it was reported by Ukraine's energy generating Energoatom company. As explained, uh, due to the incompetence of Russian personnel, in particular the head of the chemical department who lost control over the situation of um, special water purification filters. I'm not going into the details, but the sense is that water of the first circuit with a boric acid solution began to get into the deaerator of the turbine house and from there again to all stream generators. Uh, the incident with the leakage of reagents occurred as a result of the actions of the Russian occupiers to illegally switch Zaporizhia NNP Unit 5 to a hot state. And according to Petro Kotin, who is Energoatom's president, the occupiers' actions could lead to a loss of integrity of steam-generated tubes, which does not comply with the regulations for the safe operation of the power unit. So basically, we can say that um, invaders are once again jeopardizing the safety of the plant's operation and uh, causing constant degradation of equipment and the frequency of dangerous failures. So we can understand, or we can at least imagine, that this can lead to an emergency at any time. And due to violations of license conditions by the occupiers, a number of emergencies have already occurred at place. You know that the, the most recent one was on November 14th this year. But nevertheless, so the world, and Ukraine in particular, tries to uh, repel Russian attacks both on the front and in the deep rear. And we know that uh, on November 15th, uh, Czech Foreign Minister uh, Jan Lipovsky stated that uh, his colleagues had supported uh, his proposal and uh, decided to freeze Russian state assets. So basically, we are moving uh, forward from such disturbing news on uh, another crime of, uh, let's say, uh, ecocide 
to the support and uh, mechanisms and instruments to influence Russian aggressive behavior, uh, basically this um, the, the, the f- this uh, freeze of assets um, is meant to end uh, commercial activity from which Russia finances the murder of Ukrainians in uh, that is achieved uh, in um, from the assets in uh, Czech Republic. This means that the Russian Federation will uh, not be able to dispose of real estate owned by Russian government agency. The property cannot be transferred or sold, and the bank uh, accounts where the where the rent for this property is paid cannot be used by Russia in any way. Technically, the assets of the Russian presidential administration's enterprise for property management abroad, which uh, in Russian sounds like Gosgrandsobstvenost, um, were subject to sanctions. And according to official information, the institution provides federal real estate for various purposes in 75 countries. Well, this includes uh, land plots and buildings for the implementation of large investment projects, buildings for representative offices, um, residential apartments, hotels, um, business centers, and so on and so forth. And still, we have another problem. on our agenda, I heard controversies on sources of uh, diversion uh, on the North Stream, and I know that uh, Nastya definitely has something to share with us. Yes, indeed. The Washington Post published an article that makes unfounded accusations against Ukraine, and uh, I can uh, I can say unfounded because there are some arguments that deny that can deny these accusations uh, like uh, it's uh, not about simple logics but it's also about technical details but we will get to that part a little bit later so the washington post uh, referring to an uh, anonymous resources reported that the explosion on the Nord stream in the baltic sea in september 2022 was coordinated by the ukrainian special operation forces colonel Roman Chervinsky. Uh, it is stated in the article that Chervinsky coordinated a team of saboteurs who used a yacht to install the explosive on the pipeline. So they you used uh, allegedly, according to the article, they used this yacht, an old one, uh, to get to the uh, intended place, and then they dive into the deep sea and um, installed uh, the explosive from on the bottom of the uh, Baltic Sea directly to the pipeline uh, to blow it up. It is also emphasized in the article that he received his, uh, orders from uh, senior commanders who are directly subordinated to the commander-in-chief of Ukrainian armed forces, Valery Zaluzhny. Uh, so this article attempts to create a hierarchy of links to the organizers of uh, this subversion. And what is important here, if we talk about the balance of thoughts and journalistic standards, the article even doesn't question Ukrainian connection to it. It already builds the whole chain of people involved. And we also don't see any references to the official sources. We see only uh, anonyms. Uh, which is also important here. But not to uh, say empty words here, uh, I would like to um, 
tell you about our conversation with the president of the Center for Global Studies Strategy uh, 21, Mikhailo Gonchar, who is an expert on security and energy. And uh, he explained to us what's wrong with this article and what's wrong with the arguments in this article. Uh, so uh, what is important here? First, we should pay attention to technical de details. Uh, the subversion on the Nord Stream pipelines necessitated uh, technically uh, refined actions. So it, it is extremely difficult operation, especially taking into account the level of protection of the pipelines uh, and how they were built. Uh, so it is important to understand the amount of explosive that was necessary to make this explosion, to create it. Uh, so uh, to fulfill, to conduct such an operation, special equipment is needed. And just uh, imagine how is it possible to load the special equipment and a huge amount of explosive on old yacht. It is also important to know the technical details of the pipeline itself. So it's necessary to know its structure, how it is protected, what materials were used to protect it, to count, uh, to estimate the amount of uh, explosive needed and to find the places to install it, to put it. Uh, so another factor is that it is important to know the Baltic Sea itself and Ukraine doesn't have any access to it. So here are these points that should make uh, people doubt about Ukrainian uh, connection to, to, to this uh, operation, to this subversion, because these technical details are extremely important, by the, but they are not mentioned uh, in the article itself. Uh, the article mentions about the experiment that journalists conducted, but this experiment actually cannot be valid because the group of journalists just checked if it's possible to get to the place of the uh, of the uh, incident just uh, using the yacht and um, it even didn't recreate the real conditions of the operation not even talking about various variables that should be taken into account while carrying out such an operation uh, and again here we are talking about technical terms uh, another another uh, issue that should be mentioned here is the lack of references to official sources. So we know that um, uh, that the three three states are carrying out the investigation on the incident. It's Germany, Sweden, and Denmark. They are conducting this investigation separately. It's not a joint investigation. So all the details of the investigation, uh, all the official information, technical documents, etc., they are all classified because the uh, investigations are independent and separate. So uh, all the accusations, all the insinuations around uh, the this topic are no more than... Uh, implications, like no more than the ideas of journalists, uh, some assumptions, uh, because when the accusation takes place, it is necessary, it is important to give real evidence. And as of now, there are no real evidences because the investigations are ongoing and the details are classified. Uh, so, um, 
there are things that can be counted as a food for thought. And uh, I should mention here that the appearance of this article isn't a single occurrence. Um, there were other uh, publications but uh, in uh, other medias, in New York Times and in one of the German um, media. So there were similar, similar articles. They were published in summer. And uh, they also uh, were full of accusations of Ukraine regarding this subversion. And uh, there were also these lines that connect uh, the incident to the military command of Ukraine. And what's also interesting uh, that uh, in uh, publications of this type, it was stated that the political uh, leadership of Ukraine uh, didn't know about uh, such plans, so they were not aware of what military are doing. So these articles are links of one chain, and they look like a special informational operation. Uh, so um, we also should pay attention to the timing of uh, these publications. Uh, for example, now uh, when Ukraine has uh, certain difficulties regarding the uh, regarding receiving aid from the United States of America, and taking into account the political process in the U in the USA, uh, the timing for such a special operation is perfect because. Uh, the accusations there, they cast shadow on Ukraine. And uh, some representatives of political establishment who are not deeply connected to the security issues, they can ask the question, as well as general public, common uh, Americans or Europeans, how the West can help Ukraine if its actions are harmful to uh, its partners. Uh, so... Um, but what is also important to mention that uh, there are working groups of Ukrainian officials that come to the United States of America that, who uh, have regular contacts with the officials from the White House. Uh, and um, at the official level, this question isn't even raised. And the U.S. President uh, Biden some time ago told that uh, he, he also referred to the investigation to the official German investigation and uh, as long as we don't have any uh, results no accusations can be made uh, so um, this uh, by the way this narrative about this story about the lack of information in political leadership and the let's say independent planning of this operation by the military command uh, is actually it replicates Russian narrative about these uh, contradictions between military and political leadership. So it's also food for thought why uh, certain articles that uh, try to spoil the image of Ukraine also replicate these kind of narratives. And there is one last moment uh, about the... Um, Actors who could be interested in uh, such an incident, in explosion on the North, uh, North Stream, uh, the German side, when the when the investigation uh, began, uh, so German side questioned the possibility of Russian interference here, of Russian uh, footprint here, because according to German side, it wouldn't be logical for Russians to uh, blow up their own pipeline. 
but um, James Sher uh, made an interesting publication where, where he criticized this approach and he told that uh, these sites which do not see Russian trees here actually don't know Russia very well. And here we should also look uh, deeper and take into account the obligations of, uh, of Russia, Russia's obligations to supply gas to Europe. Uh, so, uh, current situation in the current situation, Russia stopped gas supplies to Europe, and even if the pipelines were intact, they wouldn't work. And the violation of the terms of the contract on supply gas supply uh, leads to responsibility for Russia. So it leads to huge penalties. And uh, the issue of paying these penalties uh, would have been decided at the arbitration. And the only way to avoid paying these penalties is a force majeure. So someone blew up the pipeline. That's why Russia will not have to pay penalties and cannot supply gas to Europe. Uh, so this thought is also worth uh, being taken into account while thinking who could be interested in such a subversion. And it is also uh, very important to pay attention to the narratives that are replicated in these articles. And these are all news for today. Thank you for listening to us. <laughs>